0: Welcome to Fintech Daydreaming. The podcast that dives into the world of banking technologies and the ever-changing landscape of fintech companies. We bring you real-life examples from global and local thought leaders, as well as experts working within the financial industry, and seek out the best stories from the front lines of financial services innovation, where dreams of industry pioneers meet reality. Hosted by Paul Krogdahl and Ville Songtu.
1: This is FinTech Daydreaming. Hello and welcome back to FinTech Daydreaming. My name is Ville Sointu and I will be your host for today's episode, which is going to go to all the usual topics we always talk about, which is invisible banking, embedded finance, cashlessness, and what is the impact of that into the society where we live in today. But before we get all the good stuff, of course, I have to say hello to my co-pilot, co-host and good friend, Paul Krugdal. So how are you today, Paul?
0: I'm good. And I can see that, as usual, you are not at home. You're out traveling and uh, experiencing the world. And for once, I'm actually excited to say that as soon as we finish recording this, I am heading to the airport to fly to Germany. I've got a customer in Germany that would uh, like to have some of my uh, face to face time, which is always exciting and nice. But I'm even more excited to be sharing that, um, you know, we have been on and off working repeatedly with FinTech Farm here in Helsinki, which is, you know, one of the big FinTech uh, hubs uh, for the Nordics. And we have decided with them to cement this into a more formalized uh, partnership. And uh, the next episode that we will be doing of uh, Fintech Daydreaming will actually be the start of a whole new thread of repeated episodes that we will be doing with them based upon a newsletter that they send out uh, every month called the Nordic Fintech Insights. So that will be a exciting new adventure for us and, and a closer collaboration with Fintech Farms. So I'm
1: really looking forward to that. Indeed, indeed. We did promise some new things in the beginning of this season. And this is one of those things uh, which is definitely changing the, uh, the usual structure of this uh, of our podcasting for sure. And uh, it's always good to talk about fintech news uh, and uh, what's the la- latest and greatest in, in the world. And let's see. For all we know, we, we might be actually recording that uh, in person uh, in, a, in, a, in the same room, so to say. So I think that's also a fun change in pace. Yeah, technology permitting, obviously. Yes, I mean, we're so used permitting. to doing
0: all of this virtually, suddenly putting everybody in one room. We might have a catastrophic technology failure, but we'll give it a go,
1: right? No, no, I mean, those catastrophic failures are the kind of uh, the spice of the uh, of the podcast, right? So everybody's looking forward to those always. Yeah. But uh, good. That's great news. I'm really looking forward to that uh, in the next episode. But before we get there, we, of course, need to uh, and get to talk to our guest, uh, guest today before we introduce the guest i want to i want to uh, mention a little bit what is the context of the conversation today a lot of the hype around the industry seems to be uh, in the fintech industry always seems to be revolving around cashlessness basically moving away from the physical cash uh, into the digital world basically making uh, making everything uh, less tangible so to say and this phenomenon is always touted as a very positive thing. There are of course very tangible uh, positive things coming out of this including uh, the ability to prevent certain types of crime related to cash, There's the environmental impact of not using physical cash because you don't have to move physical things around the world and you can just move everything uh, electronically. All of these things are very well known and we that's why we all are very much pro cashlessness. But sometimes the uh, the other side of this conversation is forgotten as things are get less tangible and when uh, people lose maybe sight the physical feeling of actually having money in your hands the uh the question becomes are the lines becoming too blurred are the uh, uh is it becoming too difficult to track your spending is this actually a problem in terms of financial inclusion because we have a lot of people that don't know how to use these digital tools properly all of this and more is going to be discussed by t- today by us and our guest uh, Marcus Everson so Marcus how are you today i'm good thank you nice to be here yeah good to have you again uh, uh, i hope i hope i was framing the conversation correctly uh, in terms of uh, what we're going to be talking about but but why don't you uh, int- start by introducing yourself so what do you do where do you come from and uh, where are you going yes
2: Uh, I'm not sure, but I I might be the first guest that you have that does not have a background in the financial industry. Uh, Maybe that's not true, but that's true for me at least. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For the last three years, I've been uh, building a startup uh, called Ching um, that is trying to tackle the problem of including the kids into this digital experience that you're talking about. Uh, My background is um, uh, I'm a creative director, a designer. I come from sort of product design uh, in the digital space, mostly in communication, branding, and so on. And um, a couple of years ago, I have, I have four kids, um, and I have struggled uh, over the years uh, handling money and making them both interested and uh, careful about their spending and economy because everything has been so abstract. I mean, in Sweden, uh, cash has been phased out uh, since at least 10 years back. You know, now it's uh, almost impossible to use cash. Uh, and uh, when I was a kid, I, I, I always got weekly allowance, and I, I worked a little bit at home, and I, you know, I got compensation, and that's been extremely tricky to deal with over the years. And there hasn't been an, an amazing amount of solutions. Uh, there, there are a few, but um, most of them are directed towards parents to solve their problem, and not necessarily to, to engage the kids in the um, in this um, so important space. I mean, the kids of today, <clears throat> the generation. Alpha, I think you're talking about after 2010, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They are uh, the most digital generation ever. uh, And yet they're not included in the economy until they're maybe 10, 12 years old. And at that point they get a uh, card and they can see a number uh, that reflects their uh, economic energy, let's say, right? Their their economic capacity or their uh, financial capacity. Uh, and that's very abstract, you know, being sort of thrown into that reality. All of a sudden, you have a card, you can run around, you can just uh, wave with it, and back you get stuff, right? Uh, and we all, I mean, research clearly shows that you get the kick of serotonin, and you know you're it's and dopamine as well, I think every time you you spend. so so yeah, so so I came from a, a situation where these four kids were um off the rails, you know, I, I couldn't um uh, make them safe. Uh, that was pretty much the case. So we decided three years ago, together with uh, two old colleagues, to take all our knowledge within design. We've designed games, all sorts of immersive experiences, and we said, what if, what if we do money? Uh, what, if we, what if we design digital money in a way that makes sense for the kids, that uh, makes them feel valuable, just like coins and, and uh, banknotes does? Right? So um, that's been the project. You know, We've had our own kids as, um, as a testing uh I wouldn't say animals, but they are <laughs> but they, they are. we've we've been trying the, the app out uh, you know on our own families and and it's been super fun super super fun
0: it's it's actually interesting. I want to reflect on on everything you said i I've got fairly similar experiences unlike Villa, who doesn't have any children i've I've got children as well, and they're you know early teenage years at the moment. and um just just like your children they've, they've grown up in a cashless society a cashless world um, an awful lot of it has been you know they've not really interacted with cash now i grew up in the uk and the uk at the moment still is i won't say it's as cash focused as as germany but they're a little bit behind us here in the nordics when it comes to the whole cashless society part and I took them to the UK to visit family for the summer holidays this year. And I decided that it was easier to basically take out cash to give them a spending money whilst we're in the UK. So I I took out you know a, a good amount of of cash uh, in uh, UK pounds and and gave them both the money and said you know here's your spending money for for the time that we're in the UK. And it was fantastic to see them interact and and relate to cash because it was the first time really that they'd in anger you know carried cash looked at the cash for spending seen how much change they get back analyze how much money they've got because they were so used to doing that in a digital way doing it on a phone you know you can get apps for your kids with your banks and everything else and and it was almost a a confusing scenario for them but i think it was a very good experience as well so i can relate very heavily to what you're saying mm, mm.
2: Yeah, what, what I what I think is interesting is that they grow up in these very very rich digital worlds, um, and in I would say in nine no uh, ninety nine cases out of hundred, you know the the bank app is probably the most boring touch point on their smartphone. <laughs> you know, I mean honestly that's true. You know maybe the calendar is is uh, is more boring. I'm not sure, but so it's very interesting that that they're coming from rich worlds highly high levels of immersion and stuff and then they come to what's perhaps most important for a modern human which is your monetary uh, situation and it's dead boring basically yeah. um then i think that's you know and at the same time they're we're we're moving um they are coming out at the age of 18 as adults into a world that is highly complex you know you can you can do investments in all sorts of assets as we know uh with a click of a button right so it's very easy to to get lost in that space. Um, and uh, have you not then shaped any form of intuition around uh, small things like you were saying, like what, what how, how does these numbers work? Like, in, in a thousand, there are 10 hundreds, for example. In a hundred, there are 10 tens, And in a 10, there's 10 ones. And in a thousand, there's one thousand ones, you know, uh, all that sort of exchanging game that we were dealing with as kids, we had to to use our heads to sort of figure things out. I think that provides some level of intuition that is just lost today, because you're just fed with one number and you see post-fact um, or, you know, post-purchase, you see that something happened to that number. Sometimes it's hard to see that anything happened at all. And I think that's true for adults as well. We, I've, heard, I've talked to a lot of people uh, over the last years that you're not feeling control anymore of their economy, you know, because mm. they're spending way more than they should. They they buy before they pay. Um, and all those co- sort of things make them a bit, you know, uh, the financial well-being is not necessarily super high. Uh, control is important. So that's what, what we try to sort of reverse. I, we, we want them to see their money, want them to control their money. And that's true for other assets as well. We're now exploring, how can we introduce stocks in the same way? How can we introduce cryptocurrency and let the parent be, the one who is sort of feeding the kids with this reality that is highly complex but that you can make very concrete by design.
1: That's, uh, that's actually interesting and I, and I want to get to the conversation of, of how, what are the kind of different ways that different institutions are trying to tackle this problem, which, which seems to be getting more uh, attention lately. But before we get to all of that, the uh, Uh, let's focus on Ching. So the the company that you have founded and uh, you're running uh, spelled T-J-I-N-G I I think so uh, uh, pronounced Ching I heard. So uh, so the practical question that I have and uh, I'm sure that the audience would like to hear as well. So how does it work? What's the user experience when you use it? Uh, And then uh, well what are the kind of mechanics uh, behind it that uh, you're trying to uh, Introduced to, to solve these problems that we outlined now at the beginning?
2: Yes, it's actually very basic. Um, it's a digital wallet. Um, the kid have one on their device. The parent has one on there. And um, uh, you send tokens from one device to the other. So it's pretty much digitizing cash in a way. So you send a coin, a 50 coin, let's say, and it goes from one phone to the other. And it's the same coin. It's the same token, uh, same serial number, <laughs> so say so so it's a very easy way and a very sort of a concrete way of sending value between two uh devices let's say um the the whole the essence from the beginning was do kids change their behavior when they see their money you know and we developed a, a very early prototype a couple of years ago where we had very ugly coins that they could combine into bigger coins so they understood that know they could feel them out they could you know touch them on the screen and we saw an immediate change um that happened in their the way they looked at their money all of a sudden they started to think twice before they spent for example Mm -hmm. um in one situation i had one of my kids he wanted to buy robux for 900 swedish that's 90 euros that's a lot of money i think for robux that you spend you know you waste them very sort of frivolously um and that was just when we had launched the app. So I, I had not uh, had a chance to create a, a new wallet for him on chain. So I did that really quickly instead of getting angry, because that's sort of you know what a parent normally can get. Um, I sent him over because he had 960 kroners or something like that. So I sent over one big 900. That's a beautiful um, a pink coin and a 60. Um, and I gave it to him and I said, okay, then you have to ching me uh, those 900. No problem at all. And he looked at his money and he felt them out and he started to exchange them because you can, you can uh, turn, you can, uh, you have small exchange slips so you can turn them into a 400 and 500 and you can keep doing that. So he sat like that for three, four minutes. And then it's like, oh, 900 is quite a lot, actually. Uh, <laughs> I think maybe 50 is better. <laughs> and he came to that conclusion all by himself. And, and we've seen that. Pretty much every kid, every parent that we talk to, the kids all of a sudden they grasp that the money has some sort of quality. It, it has a value, and you have to you have to leave them. You know, you have to get rid of them, which is um, an act of friction, um, emotional friction. And research showed that that's true for us as well. We spend more with card than with cash, for example. If we bring five hundred kroner to the to the pub, we normally don't spend more than that you know, because then we have to make a loan and stuff. But if we bring the card, you know, we just keep <laughs> buying beers. So, so it's very basic, that so is very basic in that sense, it's really just seeing your value, you know, um, and now right now it's, it's coins, mostly, but also uh, small messages that you can send to say thank you, because that's another aspect that's gone lost as well. Um, it's very abstract, you get, in Sweden we have swish, for example, you swish money to each other digitally. And even if for young kids that they can't use that really, but for for a bit older kids they do that. But it's also very one way, uh, one directional. So you swish and you forget to say thank you, for example. So we've also added those sort of emojis and mechanisms that makes it fun for grandmother to send money, let's say, for you know for a sports holiday and get some love back, you know, get the thank you. But we're also looking at other types of tokens that we can introduce because we could have stocks, for example. As I said, we could have crypto. We could have. Uh, all sorts of stuff that, that's relevant for the kid. But right now it's very simple. It's just coins flowing between parents and kid or between siblings or between grandmother and grandchild, for example. I,
0: I think that's your your idea of, of expansion there, I think is quite relevant and critical. I think you and I had a discussion you know, before we recorded this this episode uh, where we've talked about financial literacy and the, the changing forces of finance since you and i were children and the fact that you know the old premise of get a degree get a job work hard save your money and your future will be safe is is completely gone and therefore associated with that it's important to teach your children that you get money in, you need to save it but there's so many other things that are now impacting that that they need to think about. They need to invest themselves for their future. They do need to think about taxes. They do need to think about what other asset values do I need to have in my portfolio? Because at the end of the day, the government's not gonna look after them anymore. They're not gonna have by default a pension. They need to really think of the future, unlike to a certain degree we did when we were children. And having your app expanding into how do i do uh, investments how do i look at other asset classes how do i you know maybe even how does uh, taxation impact the money you get and the money you spend i I think that's a a critical part of the learning process
2: totally agree with you and i think that that's a really relevant relevant um, uh, thing that you're mentioning there because handling money um, in a normal Handling money in Ching is very simple. If you want to do budgeting, for example, or if you want to put some money to taxation, you basically move the money uh, interactively into different positions, right? So we could develop wallets, for example, that teach you just that. Uh, um, Same thing when it comes to stocks, for example. How do you manifest the idea of having a piece of a company? That's pretty easy if you use tokens, actually it's very easy for the, for uh, for us to say to the kids hey do you want to buy uh, a share in, in in a company and they're asking what is a share it's a piece of that company you know what company would you own, would like to own a piece from and then we send over um, a little stock uh, in chain. that's not released yet but that's what we do basically and they can follow they can see what they bought it for and they can see what it's worth right now it's very sort of it's a very simple way to understand uh, the mechanisms because at the end of the day it's not that hard i mean uh, I, I find it coming from the outside uh, a little bit like a financial an al- un- un- alphabet, you say. <laughs> uh, I've always been a bit, you know, scared of of all the concepts that are surrounding this space. It's it's tricky. It's um es- esoteric, you know. Yeah. Um, but but actually now when I dig into it, it's like it's not that complicated, you know. It's it's pretty simple. It's uh, and I think uh, if you can introduce this early to kids, they get they build an intuition very very early in life, and they they lower the threshold to approach uh those financial ideas um so yeah so the project is about financial inclusion first of all and also financial literacy i mean that's what we sort of want to want to get to and, and to do that you have to make it fun because otherwise kids don't care that's that is the essence. <laughs> you
1: know. we can, yeah, we can, we can cer- certainly hear the fun part and the, the fact that you're making this money very tangible and uh, uh, making people physically almost move uh, these coins to to uh, uh, different places to actually spend money. But I know that the, our audience is, uh, I mean, we have a lot of bankers and fintech nerds in our audience and they're dying to hear. Are these real transactions? Is there real money involved? Uh, if not now, is there going to be in the future? I mean, is this somehow connected to the actual payment and the actual monetary value that people have, or or how does it work in terms of value? Is it completely self-contained, or how do you do it?
2: Hmm. No, but I mean, it is. The answer is, um, it's a philosophical question. I mean, I I say. It is money you know because the, the the bank is is myself so what they have in their purses is uh I, i'm the um what do you say i'm the one who's granting that they'll they'll be they'll be able to get something for it but it's not connected to a bank today that's what we're looking at right now we just entered a partnership with with the mastercard their lighthouse program which we were really really happy about um because we want to enable the kids to um move outside of Ching. Right now, they have to send me money, and then I pay, for example. So they're, they're shinging me uh, money, and then they uh, ask me to pay for something. And that's how it works, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, enabling them to go to the store themselves. I have this story as well. My eight-year-old son, this, this summer, he was handed a 20-kroner bill from his grandfather. And that's very rare, actually. So he was super happy, you know. And he's good with money now. He's had Ching for uh, two, three years. He's really good saver. You know, he really understands sort of the concept of money. So he, he he was walking back and forth to the counter in one of the small shops in, in town, you know, he wanted to buy a piece of chocolate, you know. And I said, you can buy whatever you want, it's your money. And then, you know, after looking at me a couple of times, uh, looking at the guy behind the counter, he walks up there and he takes this chocolate bar, you know, he puts it at a counter, and he hands him the note, and I just see him from from a distance, like shaking his head. You know, they didn't accept cash, obviously. You know, so Mons back the chocolate bar, and he comes back with a face, really sad face. You know, and and that is something we really want to solve. He's eight years old. Yeah, he's nine now. Actually, he was eight in the summer. He needs to be able to go to a store and make a small purchase. You know, so our next step is definitely to connect this into sort of the the real money quote unquote space, right? But I mean, on one level. I'm granting that this is money just like the bank grants me that you know my bank account holds money so so we're talking about this as real money because it I would say it is <laughs> you know for sure yeah so, so, so instantly
0: when you say this is this is somehow connected to real money and then that whole notion of the kid can pay with it at the shop my brain goes regulations kyc aml everything else that goes around that so right. Is, is there you know an element of, of regulatory uh, or financial licensings associated with this?
2: Absolutely. I mean for sure you know and the, I think the, the, the beautiful part with where, where the app is today is that the parent is the bank, so the regulation is is not there right you can you can really deal with stocks and everything uh, because the parent is sort of creating these stocks, you know they create gold and, and so on. So the system right now is very flexible. But of course, as soon as the component comes in where you have a bank connection, there is regulation uh, happening uh, we and, and what you realize of course coming from the outside is that it's a fairly steep uh, they, they've not made it easy let's say you know to get into the space um uh, they i mean who, who are they but i mean it's it's hard i understand that it's a regulated space right so so we're looking at different models here we're trying to find our sort of position in the financial ecosystem really because we're not here to compete really with anyone we're just here to provide a solution for the young people uh, that makes sense to them, and that shapes their intuition around money. So um, we're looking at open banking, for example, as as one potential. Um, um, and there are a lot of players out there, as you as you both know, that could that, that can help us there. You know, there are card as a, as a service is another uh, another interesting idea. Collaborations with banks, we're absolutely open for that as well. We just want to distribute this to as many families as possible. You know, that so as that as many kids as possible can can get into this, you know, it's important to shape their future. So, um, and of course we could also long-term, um, look at the e-money license and, you know, eventually become a bank. I don't, I mean, that's very, very far into the future. I would say right now, I think they're a much smarter way for us to get out there because again, we we are looking at this as an impact project. Uh, of course it's commercial, uh, but we, we really want to get to as many kids as possible. We think that this is going to happen, this transition from cash to digital. I think it's, it's inevitable that's going to happen across the world. I mean, it's already we've already seen it in many parts, right? But um so um, but surely you're you're absolutely right. There is a lot of regulation and stuff. And we have a couple of different ways that we're looking at how to not get around that, but to, to simplify and to make the threshold as small as possible.
1: I think there's a lot of interesting opportunities here because As we know, the world, especially here in Europe, is moving towards uh, open banking through different kinds of uh, regulation and new directives coming through, not getting into all of those uh, in this episode today, but... I would imagine that there is a future where uh, connecting these types of new user interfaces into existing accounts yours as a parent and then uh, your children's accounts uh, and then moving money between them and then allowing uh, the children also to spend money from those uh, those smaller pools of uh, of actual monetary value it would be a possible future for sure but uh, looking at the landscape today i, I see a lot of uh, especially user interface related problems uh on those uh on those things now you you basically outlined the uh your current situation where you have this uh, the parents of the central bank issuing the coins and then uh, you're able to move them around uh and the potential future of moving into different kinds of licensed licensed businesses but uh what is your current business model uh with with the kind of uh, information that you have right now and is that changing now uh, in the future based on what you just said
2: yeah, no, I mean, we the current way we're looking at it, uh, the app in its current state is uh, a tool for families that don't want to, or that cannot uh, get banked for their youngest kids. We have kids as young as two years old, actually, that's our youngest user. Most of them right now are like five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe, you know, and then when they're coming into 10, 11, 12, they need real money. So that's where sort of we, we, might, we might lose them uh, if we don't have any sort of connection to a bank. But we could, that's why we're looking at that as well. But right now the business model is, right now Ching is free, it's very early. You can you can download it and you can uh, have fun with it. But we're introducing um, new type of wallets, new type of tools, uh, as I was mentioning, like stocks, funds, uh, all, all sorts of sort of uh, educational materials that we are going to have to uh, pay a premium for, or, you know, charge a premium for. So that's gonna be Ching plus, basically um we want every kid to be able to to join and to handle the basics uh, i think that, again that's that's just a question of impact uh, really so it's there's always going to be a version that is fun but there are degrees of fun and, and there are degrees of learning and we think that families are prepared to pay uh a premium to serve their kids with the best experience possible because this is a it's such an important aspect of life uh, at the end of the day setting your kids up for success um okay it's important for, for every family out there. So sure. the so putting first, my,
0: the sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you then.
2: No, go ahead. No, that's the first step. That's the okay. first step. Uh, I
0: was, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, putting my investor hat on then, I mean, I can hear you saying that you're looking at moving towards a, a, a freemium style model where you get the basics for free and you pay something to get additional value. But what's your revenue model at the moment? If if the app is free and all you're giving at the moment is is the basics, where are you getting your revenue from today?
2: We are basically investing ourselves, uh, our own. Uh, I mean, we've been we've been taking in. We had a um, we had a round of financing about two years ago, where that allowed us to build the whole platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we um, we are looking for the next step, basically. So at the very moment, we're just giving this for free to everyone and uh, we're backing it ourselves basically until we find either a collaboration uh, with a bank partner or we find an investor that is interested in in, um, in backing the venture basically. So uh, and we, we we're using the autumn now to really figure out sort of you know we we've we're just stabilized. let's say we have a platform now we have about 3,000 users. They, it looks really good. the retention is very high and we get really good reviews. people are very happy about it but um we're also careful right now not to grow too big before we we sort of know what our position is in this financial ecosystem again so i think this is really an exploratory phase for us um and i think uh, that's what the ultimate is going to be all about you know how do we get to as many kids as possible that's our question and of course how can we sustain this from a, a financial perspective long term you know but right now it's that's the model <laughs> basically
1: so we have, a, we have listeners all around the planet, we've learned, uh, which is a bit surprising, but we're happy about it. Uh, and I'm sure they're thinking, uh, is this a global application? Can I download this anywhere? Uh, and if it's not, will it be global in the future?
2: Yeah, it's absolutely the uh, the idea to make this global. Uh, we right now exist in a couple of countries. We just released it in Germany, Spain, Italy, France, mm-hmm. Holland, I think. Uh, I, Yep, exactly. So uh a couple of European countries there as well. We're we're quite careful, you know. I mean, it's all growing, it requires money as well, right? So we have it there more to um to cede it to friends out there that can try it out and that can experiment uh, and see how it fits into their situation in that society. I mean, we know for example that Germany is much more cash heavy than Sweden, you know. But um, and how does how, how does that affect the um uh, the usage of the app right so uh, but right so Sweden of course Finland uh, Switzerland um, it's also three countries where we've been but we've been mostly active in Sweden actually because that's where we are located right now and that's where we've been trying it out but it's um, it's been very much of a design it is a design project the whole thing is an innovation project in the sense that we, we don't know nobody has done this before this exact thing. So <laughs> we don't know exactly where this will take off. The only thing we know is that we're extremely committed to get this to as many kids as possible, because we see that it has a massive impact on the kids that use it so far.
0: So, so you, I mean, you, you must be having competition from from other relevant apps in sort of the same space, What what do you see as being your specific unique Value proposition I mean I believe there's there's a similar app in Sweden
2: as well called Gimme yeah, something similar yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Gimme were they were very early I mean they've been they were probably at least five years earlier than than we were and I used Gimme myself you know I was really happy that they saw the problem and that they did something about it. The problem we had with Gimme was that the kids didn't really care about it you know they, it didn't really serve their it didn't make their hearts tick you know hmm. so we we found ourselves not to keep using it basically you know i thought it was a good tool that they didn't care so all of a sudden we, we realized we hadn't looked at it for like 2 years actually you know and i put some level of interest that was ridiculously high so they had money that was just sky you know taking off <laughs> to the skies basically <laughs> um so um so so that was actually why uh we started ching because we said we are coming from the um let's call it the rich entertainment digital industry with with games that we know how to uh create stuff that people care about uh, that, that kids like and love we are good at design we're good at 3D we're good at you know uh telling stories um and i realized uh that that's going to be quite hard i think for a bank to assemble a very very good creative team because most creative teams don't want to be in banks um that's actually the, the just the reality, unfortunately. Uh the best creative people on earth, they want to be on agencies, they want to win the awards and do really cool projects. And um that's sort of the space we're coming from, the whole team. So that's yeah. our I think that's our superpower, basically. That we're coming from a different angle at this, you know. But I think as you said, like competition wise, I think there, I mean, there, there are definitely apps out there like Go Henry and um Osper, I think it's another one. Yeah. Um Gimme, as you mentioned yourself. Uh so there are apps there, but I think that the problem there is that they're very similar to what the banks offer. You know, it's a a, a very UX, typical UX centric thing. You know, it's very focused on parents normally. And the education comes in the form of written text. Like, you know, today we're going to learn how to budget. And you have to read and you have to, you know, uh, we're trying to integrate the learning inside of the wallet so that the wallet is teaching you by being just fun. You know, you get a stock, you don't learn about stocks, you just get a share from your parent and you manage it and you look at it. And that's the way in to this space, right? Mm. So we call it, we talk about experiential learning. We obviously didn't coin that term, but that's uh, that's exactly what Ching is all about. You experience your economy, you experience your finances, and that's the way you learn. And that's where I think we're actually quite different. Uh, that's where I think, I, I hope we get competition because I would love if more people did something for the kids, in it. but I, I doubt it because there are so many other uh, interesting areas you can spend your creativity at, you know, like normal games. They can make quite a lot of money from as well. <laughs> so we're fighting, you know, with our creativity to get into a space that not necessarily embrace new competitors or you know new new solutions. So I really hope we'll find a position here and that we we the financial ecosystem sees um, the, the opportunity to uh, collaborate and give the kids something unique.
1: So let's broaden the conversation a little bit. So I think we're now quite well covered on what what Xing does and what uh, where you you're heading, but. Let's get to more to more of the uh, the broader societal points, maybe of uh, of this conversation. So, we talked a lot about financial literacy already and uh, why it's important for the kids. Um, and the second part of that conversation, of course, is the digital. Literacy, because again, uh, it's teaching teaching about money, teaching about the value of money uh, through through this tool, but also digital uh, literacy. Uh, is there something you can talk about uh, about the dynamic between these two things? Are they connected? Are they completely disconnected? Do they benefit uh, from each other somehow?
2: Mm. I mean, our kids kids of today grow up with an iPad. They they basically. They use their uh, iPads. Same, you can see that in every restaurant. There's a family sitting, and they have a two-year-old, and you know they're trying to, you know, uh, uh, get the attention from the iPad so they don't scream and disturb the dinner. Let's say. So I think every every kid today, uh, I think it's fair to say that across the world, I think kids are exposed very early, and the digital literacy is not. Um, it depends on what you mean, of course, but I think their their exposure to digital is they they get more than enough. I think these kids um, and I think it's inevitable that we will move into this reality. I don't believe that cash, I personally don't believe that physical cash is going to be around for, for that long it's because it doesn't make sense really. I don't think it makes sense. Maybe from some, some sort of war perspective or crisis time perspective, but with you know, CBDC, I think that's also going to be, be phased out so digital literacy. It's so natural to, uh, for the kids, you know, they grew up in a very complex reality full of fraud uh, and full of, of uh, different ways of, of wasting your money. Everybody wants your money out there, basically. So I think it's more a matter of uh, anchoring um, the economic, uh, the financial aspect into that reality, because they get exposed very early to uh, different types of currencies like Robux and V-Bucks and so on, uh, and they don't really feel anything. Uh, th- I heard there's so many kids that are wishing for their birthday Robux instead of Swedish Krona, for example, which is really interesting because that's their reality. They buy digital uh, garments, you know, and hats and all, all sorts of stuff. And that's also something that is almost stigmatized from a parent perspective, but we just have to get used to it, you know. Mm-hmm. So they are, you can almost see it, I think, that they are extremely digitally literate, right? And that's where we have to get this component in early on so that so that it it sort of works in tandem, let's say, you know. I, I think
0: there's there's an extension on that dimension of digital literacy, um, which which I'm witnessing with with my children again, and that is a, I would almost say a a lack of fear. So when I look at my children using digital devices, they they almost disregard the fact that there are evil actors out there there are chances of things going wrong you know moving money around how do i know that it gets to the right place etc a certain element that i feel that maybe us older generation have a even though we are fairly digitally literate we have skepticism over that digital world and that digital capability which our children don't have because they've almost been indoctrinated with like you said from day one they've had an ipad and they take it for granted they don't have any fear over that so, so is there an element here of the digital literacy actually having a negative impact on financial literacy from the point of view of having a skepticism of if i say i'm going to transfer 5000 euros over somewhere that that i'm doing the right things and i don't take a fairly liberal ugh, it will all be okay attitude to it all
2: Hmm. No, I think I think you're you're right. I mean, we you hear those cases where kids are spending. Uh, I had a friend whose kid spent uh, several thousand kroners on on V Bucks, for example. You know, uh, by the click of a button, and that was, that became a problem, of course. Uh, you know, from a family perspective, but at the at the same time who who is there to blame? Uh, you know uh, I'm not saying the parents are to blame, but the society in general has not taught these kids or giving them any sort of opportunity to understand how to handle this new sort of situation. So they are fearless, as you say um, uh, there, there, there's just an element of um they they don't get to experience enough of that reality uh, to make good decisions. I think they, they, they are sort of on a surface level until they themselves can control situation. I wouldn't mind, for example, if, if parents could give V-Bucks in a weekly allowance to kids and they could see their V-Bucks bucks, and they can understand that that V-Bucks can be transformed into Swedish Krona and so on. Because I think that would change the way they think about spending V-Bucks, right? But if it's just a button and there are buttons everywhere, if you, if you see your senior games, uh, your kids play Roblox, for example, many of those games that are there on that open platform, they're trying to, they have hit areas everywhere where, that makes it very, very likely for the kid to hit something that that leads to a payment, basically, right? So, so they, they're trying to scam a lot of these games, not all of them, but are trying to scam the kids at every click of a button, basically. But if the kids themselves could feel that, you know, I'm handling this money myself, I know how it feels when I leave it, when I, when I uh, depart from it, right? Then I think um, we have a much better chance of, of creating uh,
1: solid individuals that, that can navigate this uh, space. Reflecting a little bit on the on the conversation here, I think it's a it's an interesting observation that the children, the the, the current young generations, are so digitally included already uh, mm. that uh, they get exposed to the monetization mechanisms of these gaming environments and virtual worlds at a very early age way before they get exposed to actual banking system because the whole banking system is uh and getting a bank account all of those things uh are made to be uh, let's say you need to grow up a little bit before you get to that world because mm. the regulation of course is is limiting in mm. many cases this uh, inclusion at the very early age mm. but when they do get there they've probably been transacting in these gaming environments for a very long time so they get mm. a very uh, kind of a well they get they go in green and they get a crash course into this yeah uh, into this whole thing even before they get access to real money so that's an mm. interesting observation yes
0: yes and no I, I I see a a like like you you mentioned I mean my son is an avid computer game freak and plays an awful lot one of the issues I've seen with him is and, and again related back to real world examples one the values in a lot of these games are ridiculously high. We're talking millions rather than ones and tens, which means that they get an inflated perspective on, you know, I've got 3 million. Well, most people in this world will never have 3 million euros ever in their bank account. And you've got 3 millions and you earned those 3 millions over three days. Mm -hmm. So they, they get a warped perspective on value so that they they go out of their gaming world where we're talking millions and they can earn that in days versus reality where they have to work for 4 weeks to get hundreds and i think there's a horrible disconnect there where you know apps like like ching like you've got hopefully will help to balance that out a little bit so that they understand that the world is not for most people in millions and billions it's it's in hundreds and and thousands
2: i i totally agree and i remember uh, this was probably seven, six or seven years ago. They played a game and they came home and they were like, they wanted me to pay for Robux because their friend Dean had gazillions or something like that, you know, quintillions, quintillions, I think. And I was like, quintillion? Where the hell did you learn that concept? You know, like, quintillion. So, so I, I completely hear what you're saying. And I think, you know, if you would take a small kid and you would leave them at a big shopping mall like or a big toy store, you know, and they roamed around, you would realize that you would have to sort of teach that kid about what's, you know, what's, what's okay to do, you know, how to relate to sort of different pricings and stuff. But we don't realize that the kids are at that sort of shopping mall all the time when they're in their digital realities they are because uh, it's easy to think that they are not exposed to the financial reality until they're in the store where they buy groceries right mm-hmm. well that's not true for most kids they're, they're highly exposed from the age of two three years old they play tokaboka games and you can buy stuff in tokaboka world right so mm-hmm. they are exposed to a financial reality very early but they have no way to interact with it themselves so they just ask their parent and the parent do something and all of a sudden you have something, right? And that that is not a good way of, of going about it, I think. It's much better to be able to pay yourself, just like we want our kids to do in regular stores, right? This, uh, so,
1: sounds, yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. Nope. All right. Uh, so this sounds almost like scary and promising at the same time. Uh, I mean, I've, I've personally been playing since from a very young age and uh, I'm... What I learned is, is basically to be very cynical of, of people uh, when being exposed to these monetary systems in these virtual worlds. And uh, in, a, in a way, it can help. So it's an interesting phenomenon to uh, to follow, of course. Hmm. Now, uh, before we start rounding off the conversation, there is one more topic that uh, I think we need to address. And it was already briefly mentioned in one of your comments earlier. And that's the uh, uh, the new notion of central bank digital currencies. Um, now central banks as we know uh, have realized that cash the physical cash is going away uh, and now they're looking into uh, digital currencies as a as almost like a complement uh, to the physical cash that they uh, uh, they issue so central banks think that the central bank digital currency is uh, a way to address this cash this well, the the f- phenomenons uh, coming out of the cashless uh, trends, uh, and uh, partially also the problems uh, out, mm. of, out of out of cashlessness. But uh, what's your opinion of of CBDCs? Earlier, you mentioned that uh, you, you you actually think that uh, it might not be the answer of the uh, into the future, or can you reflect on that?
2: No, no, but I, I you know, again, um, I think I'm not an expert in that space, but I, I do I do believe that. Uh, there needs to be i mean if there is not such thing I, everything is privatized right uh, and that doesn't seem like a great idea when it comes to money to me at least you know from both well, from sort of an inclusion perspective not every person um in the world have traditional banking uh, services for example um and also in times of of trouble i think it's good if there is an institution like a central bank that that can sort of back up uh whatever we uh, have decided uh value looks like you know um so it makes sense but it's very abstract i think they, they if you would ask somebody on the street they, i don't think they even understand the, the difference between i hardly do between private and publicly made money for example that yeah. money is made <laughs> and stuff like that so it's very much so much easier to sort of see the money and um and uh, I, I, we've of course been thinking about this a lot. Uh, should, could we collaborate with uh, uh, any of those players and and uh, v- visualize uh, the money? You know, because that would maybe make sense not only for kids, but also for uh, people that have different sort of uh, functional variations or you know uh, groups in society that doesn't feel comfortable handling this abstract notion uh, of, of a traditional digital bank. So. Um, I don't know if I have a good answer to it, but I do. My my gut feeling tells me that there should definitely be something like that. Otherwise, uh, things
1: just feel too rocky somehow. You know? Uh... Yeah, but I mean, you you actually touched on a very interesting point uh, when it comes to the design of the central bank digital currencies, because one of the key questions really is that. How is this really different? Because if you look at the way uh, that central banks are now designing these digital currencies, ultimately, it will be just another row on your mobile banking application as another balance on your mobile banking application, Hmm. or it might be a separate application. But nonetheless, it is a number on your screen. Mm. Just like your current bank balance, so mm. current card balance. So how do you actually differentiate that? Is, is there a way to make it more tangible, to make it different from uh, from the uh, current private mm. versions of uh, of money? So you might be onto, uh, onto something there. Maybe there is a way to kind of create this uh, centrally or publicly issued uh, digital currency uh, in a different way. So mm. I would definitely yeah. keep your eyes on that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at, again, if you learn from the gaming space, for example, you know, when you run around in Mario, you're picking golden coins for a reason, you know, you're not picking numbers. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, you're, yeah. Uh, and uh, so, so, um, I think there is a very big reason to believe that our psychology, um, requires different ways of, uh, yeah, I don't know, seeing money or seeing seeing things, you know, perceiving things. Right? You perceive value when you look at something, and so so visualizing money in different ways, I think, is an interesting thing, uh, regardless whether it's ching or not, right? But that sort of number is very abstract. It's very hard to feel anything when it moves a little bit, you know, even though it might move quite a lot in uh, some sort of context. You lose. I mean, with money, you with numbers, you really lose. Uh, um, you relativize really quickly. If there is another zero added, for example, it doesn't look like much, right? Then you start to think in in hundreds instead of tens, for example, or in thousands. And all of a sudden, the hundreds don't feel like anything anymore because they're like you know not taking any uh, emotional boxes. Um, so, I, so um, yeah, there there might be a game to play there for sure.
1: So yeah, tangible digital money—that's the future. You heard it for the first time here on uh, on fintech fintech daydreaming. There we go. Uh, so, as we round off the discussion, and I know that our audience has been uh, thinking about, well, where is the joke? You didn't do, do the joke in the beginning. So, uh, dear dear audience, don't worry, we always do the joke uh, in FinTech Daydreaming. And this time, uh, I've heard that, Paul, uh, you might have a joke uh, for the audience today. As,
0: as always, yes, I've got a horrendously bad joke. And I, I think it's quite relevant to the discussions we've been having around uh, about money and financial ad- literacy, financial advice and everything else. But, um v- villa you you've you've heard that old uh phrase right uh money talks yep yeah well my question is if money talks why do we need financial advisors
1: <laughs> yeah that's 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 a good question awesome. <laughs> <laughs> i promised bad and i delivered bad
2: yeah, you okay. know what almost,
1: what, almost kind of felt like you know, is there another line coming to this joke or is this, this really no? Nope. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's it. That's it. The, what, you know, what's funny is that we can actually make money talk in chain and it could <laughs> give you financial advice. Don't spend me. <laughs> yeah.
1: so that's no, that's I'm serious when I say that. We could make money. I like talk. it. I like <laughs> it. So, that's like generative AI on money. Exactly. Money. I mean, now we're getting into really kind of big hype topics here. So, better, better money with it, money money with emotions imagine that oh emotional money oh yeah emotional oh, yeah. money yeah <laughs> great but uh we do have to round off the uh of the, the conversation uh today unfortunately we could go on forever uh as, as as always but uh marcus before we uh sign off was there anything you wanted to mention that we haven't we had a chance to uh talk about uh, today
2: No, I I think this has been a super interesting conversation. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast and for putting a sort of spotlight on the subject, you know. Um, I think we've covered most of it. Uh, Inclusivity and financial literacy, super important for the future generations. And we have to take that seriously,
1: I think. And we couldn't agree more. Uh, Final question. How can people reach out to you, find out more about Ching? They can either they can email me at marcus with c at chain.com that's probably the
2: simplest way of doing it or add me on linkedin for example marcus iverson um that's probably the two most uh favorable options uh
1: i can provide info to you guys and you can put that in the if you have a some, some we'll, we'll put them on the show notes great so thank you, Marcus, for being a fantastic guest. I think the conversation will be very interesting for many of our listeners to hear. But what's also interesting for our listeners, of course, is our new collaboration with the uh, with the Fintech Farm. So, Paul, maybe remind the audience once more uh, about our new collaboration. Yes,
0: absolutely. As we said right at the beginning, Fintech Daydreaming has officially created a partnership with Fintech Farm in Helsinki. We are going to be collaborating with them going forwards. We will be there Uh, partner of choice at their conferences and events, uh, as we have done in the past, but now a little bit more structured going forwards. But most importantly, we will be doing a joint monthly episode of the FinTech Daydreaming podcast focused on their monthly newsletter called Nordic FinTech Insights. And our next episode of FinTech Daydreaming will be our initial kickoff with them. Looking forward to that.
1: Indeed. And as always, remember to subscribe, like, review, leave a comment, send us a note, do all the usual things. All of that is very helpful. Uh, And with that, I would like to thank you, dear listeners, for listening in. Uh, Marcus being a fantastic guest. And of course, Paul, my dear co-host. With that being said, this has been FinTech Daydreaming.
0: This
2: is FinTech Daydreaming.